Eagles Entertainment. With the 10th pick in the 2021 NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select... You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by Life Brand. I'm your host, Fran Duffy. It's time to get you ready for another week of college football. And we've got four people on today's show to help me do exactly that. First up, for Mr. Relevant, I'm going to talk with Chrissy Freud from uh, the Draft Network. She does great work for Sports Illustrated covering Mississippi State. You can follow her on Twitter at Chrissy underscore Freud. She's going to stop by to talk about how she views this quarterback class. And she does a great job ranking all the quarterbacks every single week over at the Draft Network. So we'll dive into her quarterback rankings right at the top of the show. After that, we've got Scouting Report, where I catch up with Eric Galco, the Director of Football Operations and Player Personnel at the Shrine Bowl, to talk about one of the guys who has helped his stock the most here this season, one of the top senior edge rushers in this class. That's Jermaine Johnson from Florida State. We'll do that with Eric there in scouting report. Then we transition into this week in college football with Ben Fennel. We've got our matchups to watch. Who's got the most to gain? Obviously some big ones here this week, especially in the quarterback class. Also, a new mock draft to break down from over at Pro Football Focus. Then myself and Ross Tucker, we wrap things up with our pick six. We've got some big games to pick here uh, in this week in college football. As always, make sure you head on over over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. If you've got a question, we will answer it. If you've got a mock draft, we will break it down every single week here on the Journey to the Draft podcast. That said, let's get things started here. Excited to catch up with Chrissy Freud for Mr. Relevant. It's time for Mr. Relevant. We're really excited this week to be joined on the Journey to the Draft podcast by Chrissy Freud, who you can follow on Twitter at Chrissy underscore Freud, her work over at Sports Illustrated covering Mississippi State, the Draft Network covering the, uh, the NFL Draft and the quarterback class. You make sure you go check out Chrissy's work. And I want to talk first, Chrissy, uh, about an article you just posted recently. You've been updating everybody almost uh, pretty regularly about your top 25 draft eligible quarterbacks. Your most recent list came out. So I want to go kind of go through this with you today. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we do that weekly at the Draft Network. So um, every, I'd say every Saturday and Sunday is kind of a mad rush to watch everybody <laughs> and, uh, just kind of see what's going on. And it's, it's a lot to handle, but it's, it's a fun deal to do. That's for sure. Sure. And it's a fun class because there are a lot of names and we like to call them the show. We like to call it QB boggle because depending on who you talk to, everybody's got a different way that they're sorting all these players. And so my thought was, all right, let's just go through your top five and then I'll ask you a couple follow-ups here on the back end. And we'll start with number five in your list. And that's Sam Howell from North Carolina. What is it you like most about Sam Howell as a future NFL quarterback? Yeah, I think he's steady. I think that he has a certain level of consistency uh, just as a passer. But at the same time, it's been hard to evaluate him to me because his supporting cast has had so many struggles. It's kind of a this conversation of is Sam Howell going to be good whenever he doesn't have all the pieces around him that he needs or if they're not playing at a high level. And one of the articles that I published on the rankings, I said, is he what I call a good weather quarterback? Like, is he going to mm. only be good when the weather is good, meaning the offensive line, the supporting cast, all of that. But I think that they've seen some more success uh, just offensively in general, whenever they use Sam Howell, both in the air and on the ground. I like a lot of what he does on the ground. I mean, that's not my favorite uh, area to evaluate quarterbacks in because I'm, uh, I hold pretty fast to the idea that they should be passers first and foremost but there are things I like about him as a passer and I think that that kind of one-two punch of using him almost equally as a passer and a runner has worked well and it's something that can help him in the modern NFL for sure 
Yeah, and I love what you said there at the end because it's a, a perfect transition to your number four quarterback, and that's Malik Willis from Liberty. Arguably the best physical tools in this class, just such a dynamic athlete. Uh, obviously, the arm talent is there as well. Where do you want to see Malik Willis grow most going into the NFL? I just want to see steady consistency and just explosiveness from him as a passer, which really I was wary of him toward the beginning of the season because I was like, all right, he's one of those guys that has all this raw athletic ability and can do all these things and kind of a do it all guy, which I've evaluated several do it all guys that most of the time what it ends up being is they can do a lot of stuff on the ground. There's a lot of physical stuff that jumps out at you, but when it comes time to throw the ball on a regular basis, it's kind of just falls apart. So toward the beginning of the season, as he went on, I was like, okay, this is a guy that is legitimately a rare prospect can do a lot on the ground can do a lot physically, but is also just as good of a passer. And for a while he looked like that. And then he hit this, really weird that two game stretch against lower level competition and through three, three interceptions in back-to-back games. So three interception uh, per game, which to me was very alarming. And I mean, this is not against a super good secondary. I mean, this is, these are teams you're supposed to be blowing out of the water and one of them, they got beat by. So to me, that was kind of, kind of scared me away from him for a second. And then it seems like he's getting his feet back under him. And I mean, if he can, If it was just a fluke, then I mean, then yeah, he's absolutely one of the better quarterback prospects in this class. So just if he, if he ever does that again, I'm going to become a little bit wary of him. But I mean, as far as like his ability to extend plays, just some of the stuff that he does is just rare and it's things that can't be taught. So if we're talking about the, the can't be taught aspects of a quarterback, he's the best quarterback in this class. And really an interesting week for him, right? Because you watch a lot of SEC, you watch obviously a lot of quarterbacks and Malik Willis going up against Ole Miss this week. How do you foresee this matchup playing out? You've studied a lot of both sides of the coin here. Yeah, I think that Ole Miss's soft spot is that their defense is not always uh, particularly playing at a high level. I think that they rely more on an explosive offense than anything. And then if Matt Corral is out. I mean, he's been kind of, it seems like he's basically been battling injury for the past couple of weeks. Like he's still been in and out of the game. Uh, but it's clear like that one touchdown run that he had, he was definitely running on two bad ankles and it, you could just tell that he wasn't quite uh, himself. So I think that whether or not Corral is able to play is going to make a huge difference. Um, how much the Ole Miss defense shows up to play and then how much um, Malik Willis can take care of the football. I think it's gonna be a really close game um, either way, but I mean, it seems most logical to give the edge to Ole Miss, and I think that I do. But at the same time, if Corral is out and Willis starts playing at a high level, you just never really know. Well, let's transition to your number three quarterback, and that is Matt Corral, a player that uh, has done a lot this season in terms of uh, trying to escalate his stock his, uh, as a, just a redshirt junior. Um, what excites you most about Matt Corral and his game right now? I'd say the level of accuracy and just how much of a difference maker that he is for that team. I mean, to me, he is the heart and soul of that offense. And then he on a much higher level to me than Sam Howell has done, uh, can do a lot for you both in the air and on the ground. I mean, we've seen him finish out. There was that one game that I think he had almost 200 rushing yards. Uh, It's just, even if you're down, you're never out with Matt Corral. I mean, he goes, he's always brings the heroics. It wasn't enough to beat Auburn, but 
granted that he did have some injury issues during Auburn, but I just, I like a lot of things that he does as far as using his mobility, both to evade pressure, to make plays on his own and just his uh, just ability to get things done the majority of the time uh, for this offense. I don't think that this offense would be nearly as strong as it is without him there. Yeah, he, he's definitely uh, opened a lot of eyes for sure with his performance so far this season, especially fighting through the adversity uh, with these injuries, as you've mentioned. Let's get now to number two on your list, and that's Kenny Pickett. Uh, a lot of people have talked about his rise over the last few weeks and what he's done here in his super senior season. Uh, you've been in on him for a bit now. What is it that you like most about Kenny Pickett? Yeah, thank you for recognizing that because it was kind of funny to me after I, I turned him off at number six and a lot of people were like, who's that? Why are you doing that? And after a while, it seemed like it started to become a very popular opinion. Now people yeah. have him as high as number one, um, which I'm, I'm close to putting him there, but I'm not there yet. No, he just a lot of his game reminds me of Joe Burrow and yeah. Joe Burrow in a way has become a sort of a measuring stick for me that I use because I cover Joe Burrow in person for about um a little over two years. So it's, it's the ability to, to kind of use this kind of a mobility. I wouldn't call it like no one ever really referred to Joe Burrow as a super mobile quarterback. And I don't really view Kenny as that either, but they use that mobility to me in a very similar way uh, to get out of bad situations to sometimes go out and, and get the job done with their legs themselves. Uh, they're not Lamar Jackson or anything, but they definitely could use it for something. Uh, just the accuracy at all levels of the field, uh, the NFL level throws. He does play in a pro style offense. So, I mean, it's not when we look at these huge, huge numbers he's putting up, um, they're not beca just because he's passing the ball down uh, to some really good receivers in an offense that passes the ball all the time. Because sometimes you'll see that a little bit, which to me, it could still be indicative of success, but a lot of people have this weird thing where they don't like to look at high numbers because they think that they're inflated or something. But anyway, so I, I mean, it's just the fact that he's just like Matt Corral. He's been a difference maker within his offense and all those numbers that he was putting up, they look like video game numbers, but they're real and the tape backs them up and he wouldn't have risen like this for no reason if they weren't. And so I see, I see a lot of similar qualities between him and Joe Burrow and really even intangibly speaking. I mean, I, these are two guys that I've both, that I've had conversations with both of them and I kind of see a similar uh, mindset and just approach to things, which is a lot more important than a lot of people might think. It's, it's amazing how underrated the face-to-face -face just conversation interview is when it comes to evaluating these guys, no especially doubt. when it comes to character, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, that's why uh, this is the case at every position when it comes to the NFL draft, but uh, especially at quarterback, when you're talking through uh, those in-person uh, experiences with teams, whether it's at, you know, the Shrine Bowl and Senior Bowl, if it's that at the Combine, the Pro Day, the visits, all of those things has uh, such a huge, huge impact on the evaluation and how these guys ultimately get slotted. Uh, the last guy I want to ask you about uh, individually is Carson Strong. He is your top quarterback at this point uh, in this draft class. What is it that sets Carson apart uh, from the rest of his peers? Well, one of the things to me that's always the most impressive about a passer um, when it comes to accuracy is where do they get the accuracy from? I mean, where are they throwing the ball to? Um, how many people are they throwing the ball to? That kind of thing. And so Carson's not just making these little check down throws though. He can do that too. I mean, he can make throws over the middle of the field to both sides of the field, but the biggest thing to me is the deep ball. And I've said over and over again, that he has the best deep ball in this class. 
And I mean, these are some really long shots that he's taking down the field and his receivers don't always have seven steps on the defender. I mean, they've got some good ones over there, but not, it's not always like that. And then a lot of these throws are also made down the sideline. And to me, there is hardly a more difficult throw for a quarterback to make than one that is into a tight window to a receiver directly down the sideline. And he does that every single game. It's almost become like a, a joke of a tradition to me that every time that we put him in the rankings, it's like, here's your Carson strong deep ball to the sideline update because it's just <laughs> money every single time. And just his ability to, to lead, to lead this, to, just to lead the team. I mean, you look at the near comeback that they staged against Fresno state, which is a ranked opponent. And I'm kind of surprised that, Nevada hasn't cracked into anyone's rankings at all, and maybe they yeah. do later on. Uh, but that game, they were down by a pretty decent margin, and then they finally got in a position to tie it up, to go down the field, get a touchdown, and that two-point conversion to tie it up. And so that was a matter of like less than 50 seconds. I think that they started from their own 10 and marched all the way down the field with Carson Strong's arm and got the touchdown and they technically got the two point conversion, but Romeo dubs didn't get both didn't get a foot down in the end zone, but Carson strong put it where it was supposed to be. And so, I mean, if that had worked out, that's a huge, uh, that's an, a huge comeback win and how many quarterbacks can drive down the field and have just that level of accuracy and wherewithal to do that 90 yards and 50 seconds where in a situation where a lot of people I think would have probably just, kind of mentally given up a little bit. And then it has a very high level of mental processing, very quick. You get this sense that he knows where people are going to be and what's going to happen before the ball gets snapped. And I mean, I've studied air raid and air raid quarterbacks for a long time and people would be surprised by, even though it seems like a more simplistic offense, the amount, just the sheer amount that's required from the quarterback. And when it comes down to like their final season, uh, some air raid teams like have them like calling the plays. And so they become like a coach on the field. So there is a lot of responsibility and to be that accurate and have that much success whenever you're throwing the ball that many times, it's, just because you're an air raid quarterback doesn't mean you're going to have these huge numbers and do well. There are plenty of air raid quarterbacks that are not good, that do not put up good numbers. So that's kind of my quibble with people that think that just because they're in that system, that it's like helping them out a lot and making them look better. Of course. And what I always found interesting about Carson Strong is like uh, there are so many air raid concepts within the structure of that offense, but you'll still, I mean, going back and watching him over the summer, it's like, oh, well, here he is under center and doing things that you don't typically see uh, from an air raid quarterback, but just the meshing of all the different offensive minds they've got in that building, uh, I find to be really, really fascinating. And I think that Carson Strong does kind of suffer from some of the East Coast bias. If he's playing, uh, you know, at Coastal Carolina or uh, a mid-major school, a group of five school that's not out you know, in the in the Midwest or out on the West Coast, I think that maybe his star shines a little bit brighter. Um, but really, really fun player, and I'm glad uh, to see uh, that you think so highly of him. Let me ask you this question: Is there a guy outside of that group, outside of that top five, that you think could potentially rise uh, in your rankings by the time we get to April? Yeah, I mean, this is a very wide open quarterback class and we've already seen so much shifting within a literally within a quarterback class where there was no like proclaimed number one really at any point in time um i like bailey zap a lot especially watching more of him talking to his coaches more um i think that sam hartman a big game upcoming for him in wake forest but i mean he's done a really good job a lot of good things in the just in the air at all levels of field and on the ground, like a lot of these guys that are in the top 10 have done. 
Um, and then with Bailey, it's he plays in kind of a modified air raid system over there at Western Kentucky. So basically, he came from a school where they ran more of like a traditional air raid, and he had all those really good uh, passing passing ability going on and all that stuff was able to make all the throws and a pass happy offense. And then they kind of added at Western Kentucky, whenever they went over there with Helton, that offensive coordinator did, uh, they added kind of more of a run aspect there and they put a lot of emphasis on understanding and changing protections. And he's intensively trained in that. And I mean, when I talked to Tyson Helton, he was extremely high on him. He said that, and you, I'm sure you saw the comments before he said that, he he had coached Sam Darnold before, and he was like, Sam Darnold probably wishes he was playing at the level of Bailey Zapp. And so mm-hmm. I think that he sees a lot of Sam Darnold and Bailey Zapp, but there are expansions upon it that make him even more special. Very interesting. A name that whenever I bring somebody on, I say, who's the next quarterback for you? Bailey comes up almost all the time. It's so funny <laughs> that uh, he's like that next guy after that first year. Um, and my last question for you, is there a younger quarterback outside of these five that you're high on it? Maybe they're draft eligible, but you know, redshirt sophomore, true junior, that we're not hearing too much about them coming into this draft, but someone we need to keep in mind for the future. Well, I mean, I think the obvious whenever you're looking at next year's draft is somebody like CJ Stroud, um, continue to keep a, keep an eye on guys like Caleb Williams, just guys that have gotten in there and have done some good things in unlikely situations. So I would, I'd probably say those two, I know that those are a little bit more obvious, but those are the ones that I'm watching. And I'm also curious to see how, I, I know that LSU is just has a lot going on right now in the worst of ways, but I'm, I'm curious to see how their quarterback room does over there. Like Garrett Nussmeyer, whenever I was covering LSU, which I just stopped covering LSU earlier this year. I thought that he had the highest ceiling out of all of them and was probably the best high school player interview in terms of maturity and just understanding that I've ever done. Um, Cause I've always been extremely impressed with him. And then Max Johnson has also done a lot of good things over there. And I think that he's kind of fallen victim, not only to the growing pains, but just to all the terrible things going on both on and off the field at LSU. So I would like to see him in more of a fair environment next year. And then Will Rogers over here at Mississippi state's a little bit up and down, but he's put up some really good numbers lately, just broke a record uh, this past weekend. So if he continues to progress at a high level in this offense, I think that he could evolve into one to watch as well. Very interesting. Well, uh, Chrissy, we will have you on in the future to talk about some of these guys uh, down the road. Really appreciate you taking some time to join us here on the Journey to the Draft podcast, and we will talk to you soon. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. Dim those lights. We're headed to the film room for the scouting report. Well, excited to be joined by the Shrine Bowl's Director of Football Operations, Eric Galco, to talk through an interesting pass rusher here in Florida State's Jermaine Johnson. Eric, welcome back, man. Appreciate it, man. So let's talk through Jermaine Johnson, a guy that uh, has been he's had a very interesting pathway here to the uh, to, to the NFL draft circle in terms of he started his career at junior college. He was at Independence Community College, which was uh, the last season of Last Chance U, goes out to Georgia and then ends up transferring to Florida State this past year. So interested to kind of see when did he get on your radar just because of the interesting journey he has taken to this point in his development. Yeah, I mean, any player, as we've learned, especially this year, any player that plays in the Georgia defensive front seven with Kirby Smart there, you have to kind of pay attention to know who they are because the next man up is going to be a star. And I think Jermaine was on our radar there for sure. But I think really for me, you know, obviously knowing after his Georgia tape that he was going to be a possible NFL player and a good one at that, 
talking to Florida State and people around that program this offseason, just speaking how much he quickly became a leader of that team, how quickly he was able to emerge as one of the defensive pillars of that team, as a new player coming there. I think it speaks to like his character and his still growth. And a guy that's been in college now, junior college, Georgia and Florida State now for five years, to have a guy with that much talent who's still ascending despite that age is really exciting because there's not many guys that after five years can still get a lot better. And Jermaine Johnson, as we'll talk about, he's a top hundred pick who could get a lot better in the NFL, which is really exciting for scouts. Yeah, I mean, six foot five, 260 pounds, uh, started four games in the previous two seasons for the Georgia Bulldogs. So interested to get your sense of a scouting report here with Jermaine Johnson and what he brings to the table. Yeah, I mean, first of all, Jermaine Johnson, if you're watching him this year, he's played the best at probably their most important games this season. He is a highly athletic outside rusher who can rip inside. He can work on the perimeter. He can be a bull rush straight up, and he's got a lot of length to work with to work as a versatile perimeter pass rusher. He'll also do some hook curl flat stuff for them as well and can do a three, four outside linebacker role sufficiently in the NFL, but he's going to be at his best as a pass rusher. And for me, as a rusher, especially secondary and finishing on the quarterback or the running back, outstanding hands to finish as a tackler. You saw in the Clemson game, I think I posted on social media earlier this week, his strip sack for a touchdown. That's not an accident. He knows what he's doing with his hands as a rusher, as he makes a play on the ball. And for a guy who's had 10 and a half tackles for a loss so far this year, and a lot of those coming against the best teams they've played this year, it just shows that he knows when to step up and be a good situational pass rusher. And he's a guy that, again, sky's the limit for his potential, even in a low edge rusher class. He's going to be a top 50, 75 pick with the tools to go even much higher. So uh, my last question for you, and just talk, talking about Jermaine Johnson is this, and this goes to for all transfer players. And we know that with the transfer portal, a lot of transfer players every single year in the NFL draft, we've had decision makers on the show. Uh, I know Andy Weidel, I, I asked him about this when, when it uh, spoke to Landon Dickerson uh, coming out in this previous draft. When you have a player who transfers, how interesting is it to kind of sort through not just one set of sources at one school, but then sort to have another whole nother set of sources. So, you know, if you're trying to pick a guy to come to the Shrine Bowl to join you in Las Vegas uh, and you're trying to talk with people, is it hard? Does it make it harder? Does it make it easier? Uh, what is that process like when you're dealing with a guy that's coming from a, a, a two different programs? Yeah, I mean, there's a, Jermaine Johnson's one. Isaiah Graham Mobley's a linebacker at Boston College yeah. from Temple. Do you use Arnold Abiketti coming from Temple to Temple. Penn State? It's actually great to talk to the schools they're at now and see how they're adapting and then see if that translates and see, hey, did you leave this a past school on good terms? Because I mean, for all three of those guys, the school has spoken so highly organically, bringing them up, how they're being leaders, not forcing it, which is always great to hear for all three of those players. And then you go back to their previous school and kind of work backwards. And yes, they were a leader there. Hey, they left on unbelievable terms. They left for a better opportunity or a new role, a new opportunity as well. And I think the biggest thing for, for evaluators is to make sure your guys are still growing, right? I always remind our young scouts, Hey, every player in the draft, there's maybe three or four guys who are able to start in the NFL right away. All of these guys have to get better. And sometimes for transfers or fifth or sixth year players, you worry, are they kind of maxed out ceiling wise? I think for those three guys I mentioned, including Jermaine Johnson, the fact that they have a great reputation at their previous school and at their new school, and they're still ascending as people as well as players, it gets you really excited. So I think that the journey is important to follow. Again, I like going backwards to front, um, you know, where they're at right now versus where they were before, and then kind of seeing that story kind of fits the whole way. And I think Jermaine Johnson fits that to a T. Again, he's personally and as a football player on the field, still getting better as a player. And as an edge rusher with that kind of talent, guys still ascending is really exciting. Love that. Well, Eric, I think you painted the picture for us here on Jermaine Johnson, a guy we will certainly be following through the rest of the pre-draft process. We will talk to you next week, man. Thanks, man. It's time for Saturday Scouting. 
All right, time to dive into this week in college football as I welcome in Ben Fennel. And Ben, uh, we had a couple more Shrine Game announcements here as we get into uh, that part of the calendar year uh, where we start talking about some of these All-Star Game acceptances. Shrine Bowl invitations have already gone out. Senior Bowl uh, invitations about to go out. So we'll start having a lot more of these announcements every single week here on the show. A couple players I wanted to hit on with you. First, I know a player that you've done in Memphis wide receiver Calvin Austin and a player that I've done in Middle Tennessee State uh, safety read Blankenship. Uh, I'll let you hit on Austin and I'll jump in on Blankenship. Yeah, we're in the November now. So Nagy, Galco, get those invites out. We're, we're watching and we're waiting. But Calvin Austin, receiver out of Memphis, as explosive as it gets across the country. Track star receiver, but it comes in a pretty small frame at 5'9", just a smidge over 160 pounds. Had a huge 2020. I think a couple of the guys opted out. I'm blanking on the name of the one receiver who had opted out, but he took huge uh, uh, great advantage of that. 16 yards a catch on 139 career catches. Really just a two-year player out there, but has been very productive and a guy that can win vertically. Yeah, and Reed Blankenship from uh, MTSU, 6'1", 200 pounds. This guy's played a ton of football. I mean, nearly 3,000 snaps coming into the season. Uh, has been really productive. He's been a guy that's played some special teams for them. Uh, he's a smart zone coverage player, some limited athletic, athletic traits, I think. But th- uh, this is a guy that's been really reliable coming downhill as a tackler. Uh, I think you know, you're probably looking at a safe bet as a backup on the, you know, on the back end of a, a secondary depth chart. Yeah, five-year starter, huge early uh, years at uh, yep. Middle Tennessee State there, 2017, 2018, at six picks, a bunch of block kicks. thought he was a little bit average in 2020. The missed tackling started to pile up a little bit, but his experience now with 3,600 snaps played, Wild. defense, special teams, there really isn't uh, another player across the country that's as experienced as far as on-field time as Reed Blankenship. Yeah, that's a, a really uh, a well-accomplished college career for sure. All right, let's get into some of our matchups here for this week. And uh, I'm going to take one focusing in on a player that you've talked about a lot and, and just how, product- how productive he has been in the SEC, Missouri running back. Tyler Beatty, really fun player. Eric Galco was on the show of, I would say this was early in the season, like week two, week three, gave us a full scouting report. You've obviously, like I said, I've talked about him a lot, a really dynamic athlete at the position. He's been a kind of a steady presence as a complimentary piece to Larry Roundtree before this season. Now with Roundtree off to the LA Chargers, Beatty now the full-time back for the Tigers. And he is just so fun to watch. He's been so productive this season, almost every game as a runner and as a receiver going up against this vaunted Georgia defense, right? So it'll be tough for Beatty to reach the end zone. But when you get those one-on-one opportunities in space against N'Kobe Dean, the Georgia linebacker that a lot of people are really, really high on, I think that'll be a really fun matchup to study. Now, Georgia, they mix up their coverages. They'll play a lot of zone. They'll play some man. And there have been times where I've watched N'Kobe Dean kind of travel out with some satellite backs if teams go empty. So we'll see if that situation does pop up in this game. Uh, Beatty is a player that I think can win in space against N'Kobe Dean, but uh, that should be a fun matchup to watch. Even when Dean's coming downhill in the hole, Beatty is a shifty, elusive player. And Dean has had some missed tackles here uh, in this season. So that'll be something I'll be watching uh, here in Missouri versus Georgia. And Tyler Beatty last year in that game generated zero yards. Had yeah. two catches for no yards, and I think only one rushing attempt, if I'm not mistaken. So a pretty quiet day. And I know he'd love to uh, put that Georgia defense, you know, give him kind of a signature performance against them on his way out of Missouri. Sure, that makes perfect sense. Uh, is there a matchup uh, that you'd like here this week? Yeah, Fran, doesn't this feel like one of the least hyped 
LSU Alabama games in recent memory. No it question. Feel right, but it doesn't feel right if I don't mention a matchup here. So I'm going to go with a top 10 pick against a guy that's not eligible. And that's big Evan Neal against BJ Ojolari, who I think will be a blue chip type of player in a year or two. Not quite eligible. He's only a sophomore, younger brother of Aziz Ojolari. But he's a guy that wins with speed, power. He's active. And he's a matchup that may give a bigger size tackle like Evan Neal some problems with his looseness and flexibility. So uh, BJ rushes a lot off that left side. I hope they kick him off to the right side and we see some elite versus elite matchups. How do you view Evan Neal uh, projecting to the NFL? You know, there are some people that kind of view him all as he, as he a guard, is he a right tackle only? Obviously, he's played a couple different positions over the course of his career. That versatility will help him. Uh, interested to kind of get your thoughts on how you view him, how you project him moving to the NFL. What kind of tier do you view him uh, landing when he gets into the league? You know, he is a massive sized tackle, and I think there have been some tackles in a similar mold lately that may make it more appropriate to fit in the NFL, whether it's a maybe a slightly sloppier Orlando Brown or Makai Becton, it might be a more apropos you know, comparison. So I think it's going to be a preference based on your GM, your scheme fit, your offensive coordinator, and what you ask your tackle to do. I don't think Evan Neal is the most athletic of tackles, you know, comparatively to some of the freak tackles that are across college football in the NFL. So it may be scheme specific. Some teams may view him as a potential Pro Bowl guard. And some say, you know what, we don't ask our tackles to do a lot in space. He could really just be that anchor down the left side. I think it's going to be different strokes for different folks, but a guy that I think any offensive line room would welcome in with open arms. All right, well, let's get to our, our next one here with our most to gain. And, and this is one that, honestly, when we started doing this category in the beginning of the season, I don't know that there was one pick that was more obvious than this one all season long. And that's Liberty quarterback Malik Willis going up against Ole Miss. It's a game, a matchup that people have had circled on their calendars going back to the spring when people were starting to really kind of build up steam here on Malik Willis. Uh, I don't want to say it's make or break, obviously, because there are a lot of layers uh, to a quarterback evaluation and so much tape out there already on Malik Willis. But this is an opportunity for him on a big stage against an SEC opponent. Uh, obviously, you have the Hugh Freeze element here too, right? A little bit of a revenge game for Hugh Freeze going up against his old team. But I think when you look at Willis, uh, this is one of those games where if he struggles, that's gonna that might be a little bit hard to rebound from looking at the rest of the quarterback class. If he goes up and lights up Ole Miss and has a really impressive performance, that's something that he can build upon going into not just the rest of the season, but more importantly for him long-term going into the spring. And I think that this performance, huge, huge, huge opportunity here for Malik Willis to kind of cement himself. Cause as we talked about, we talked about it earlier with Chrissy. Uh, she sees him as her fourth quarter uh, quarterback. Nate Tice last week had him as his QB four as well, but there are plenty of others out there that have him as QB one or QB two, right? So uh, the, the with it being as murky as it is from a quarterback picture standpoint, having a performance like this against a, a, an SEC opponent from Malik Willis, that will be huge for his overall draft stock. Yeah, certainly a game I think we all circled in the summer, just kind of forecasting Malik Willis' no season, his stock, and uh, you know just looking for that one tape against the best competition. And yeah, a little bit of a rivalry game for Malik Willis as well, being the Auburn transfer gets to go up against some SEC opponents here in Ole Miss. Um, But Fran, we got two interesting undefeated teams on the road this week. I haven't mentioned Wake Forest or Michigan State once this year, so we got to give them some attention. They're both (laughs) on the road, though. So I just want to give you some defensive players that could maybe spoil their season. Okay. So 
You got Wake Forest heading to North Carolina, and they have some dogs out in the secondary in North Carolina. Not winning a lot of games this year, but cornerback Tony Grimes and safety Cameron Kelly make a lot, lot of plays on the back end. Don't forget, Tony Grimes, number one corner out of high school a couple years ago by many services. So if he gets his hands on a couple passes from Sam Hartman, could spoil their season and uh, end the Cinderella campaign by Wake Forest. Michigan State, they're traveling to Purdue. I think we all know about Edge George uh, Karlaftis at this point. He has a chance to ruin any game. He's a good run-pass defender. But Fran, they have two massive linebackers. Jalen Alexander and Kieran Douglas are each 240. They look 250. I'm telling you, they buckled their chin strap, and they're ready to hit Kenneth Walker this week. So I think there are a lot of defensive players on the other side of these teams that can really spoil the undefeated seasons of Michigan State and Wake Forest. A little bit of a teaser. Uh, we're picking the North Carolina Wake Forest game uh, coming up in the next segment with Ross. Who do you like in that one? Do you, you think Wake is able to pull it off? Because I mean, a lot of people view North Carolina as the ability to, to upset Wake here. I, I think North Carolina is going to end this Cinderella campaign. Oh, it's nice. tough to win on the road, especially these teams that really know each other. I know North Carolina hasn't had the season they expected with Sam Hartman, uh, but I think they write the ship this week and uh, put the first L uh, in the loss column for Wake Forest. Well, I'll save my pick for the next segment. I'm going to bounce this one back to you, though, for our prospects after dark, a, a player who is uh, lining up in a game that starts 730 or later Saturday night. So uh, someone that we could profile uh, for playing in the later game. Who do you like here in this one? Well, I know you love to talk Power 5 and SEC and oh, the top go. of the top of college football, but UTSA, Fran, is undefeated. They're, they're, players. They're, number, they're number 16 in the AP poll. So let's talk about some prospects on this team because they got them on both sides of the ball. Running back Sincere McCormick, 5'9", 205. He had 1,400 yards last year. Reminds me a little bit of like a Ronnie Hillman. He's short but rocked up. Zone runner, creative, has some make him miss. And in that secondary, safety Rashad Wisdom, Whereas number zero, he looks to take your head off. He's that short, rocked-up thumper over the middle. And Tariq Woolen, that corner, converted receiver. At Fascinating player. Yeah. Yep. Freak list player for a 4-3 laser time 40 at 6-4. Woo, they got something cooking out there in that defensive secondary. So Rashad Wisdom at safety, Woolen at corner, Sincere McCormick. UTSA is 8-0, 16 in the AP poll. Good for them. Having a great year. And the thing with Tariq Wollin is, is like the, the speed of, you know, four, three times speed. Sometimes you watch a guy and you're like, ah, I don't know if that shows up. Like that's, that speed shows up with Tariq Wollin on defense. The big thing, you just want to be able to see things a little bit faster, just be more consistent as a tackler. But when you're six, four and you run four, three, that is a traits position. That is a stopwatch position when you talk about uh, draft stock, right? So uh, Tariq Wollin not being talked about as like, oh, you know, could he go like, uh, you know, potentially like early day two could he go in around three like we've seen corners every single year get overdrafted because of traits and so i would not count that out with Tariq woolen from utsa yeah and i guess just to round out the prospect after dark category they're heading to utep 10 o'clock or excuse me uh 10 15 espn2 saturday night so utsa go. heading to utep it is a prospect after dark game and there's plenty of them they got a great logo out there the road runners utsa is a fun team to watch you know give them give them a couple hours on your saturday night 
I like it. I like it. I, I'm going to go. Um, I'm going to stay in the secondary and talk about just Indiana and Taiwan Mullen. Uh, he's been battling this foot injury. He's been out for a bunch of the year. Uh, it looks like he'll be okay to go uh, this week against Michigan. 7.30 on Fox, so the big game on Fox on Saturday night. Obviously, plenty of reasons to watch this game from a Michigan standpoint. Certainly, Aiden Hutchinson, potential top 10 pick in this draft coming off the edge. But keep an eye on Indiana. Uh, there, You've talked about a bunch of guys on that defense, whether it's uh, Micah McFadden at linebacker, uh, you know, some other guys in that secondary, but Taiwan Mullen uh, is a player certainly to keep an eye out for top 50 type of player um, by, you know, pretty much, pretty much on, for everybody that you talk to. So uh, Taiwan Mullen, Michigan, hopefully now healthy coming off that foot injury. Someone to watch here, seven 30 on Fox Saturday night. Let's now get into our future film focus, a game or a matchup that we can't go back and can't wait to go back and study later. Just knowing that, you know, we can't always see everything on TV. I'll bounce this one back to you. So I actually want to see uh, Auburn safety smoke Monday. Auburn's mm. playing Texas A&M this week. Texas A&M throws a lot of different things at you over the middle of the field, not only in the running game with Isaiah Spiller, but Nia Smith, Jalen Weidermeyer, big tight end down the middle. Smoke Monday, I did not like his 2020 tape. I thought he missed tons of tackles. I thought he had eye violations. Well, 2021, he cleaned it up. He's looking good out there. And I think this could be kind of a signature game as far as watching tapes and elite opponents and making sure he brings down those ball carriers, you take proper angles, you look good in coverage. A&M really likes to attack you kind of between the numbers. Uh, I'm going to stay in the SEC because I, I actually have not done Smoke Monday yet. So I, I'm interested. He's one of the guys that's like next on my list. I want to make sure I get to. He, he had too many missed tackles last year, Fran. I would refuse to call him Smoke. He was Steam Monday last mm. year. He's, he's earning the Smoke Monday this year. I like it. I like it. All right. Well, I'm going to stay. You you talked about Mississippi State corner Martin Emerson last week on the show. What was the uh, who was the comp uh, that you had for Martin Emerson? If I don't, I'm trying to remember. I said exactly. at at times he had the feistiness in the flat of like a Jalen Ramsey, but I think Got a it. much more appropriate Trayvon comp Diggs. was Trayvon Diggs. That's right. Who both six two, two hundred pounds, physical, high cut, little stiff hipped at times. Okay, so going up against Arkansas wide receiver Traylon Burks made two physical marvels at the position, right? Two of the more physically imposing players at their positions in the league and in the, in the country, much less the SEC. So uh, this is one where I, I, try, I was trying to remember who that comp was. I knew you had a phys, big physical corner in line for Emerson, but just watching him and Traylon Burks go one-on-one uh, at times in this game, that is going to be a lot of fun. I don't know that we'll always see it on the TV copy. I think that some of these SEC games have gotten pretty good on the broadcast angles of showing more all 22, uh, but I will say just going back and watching the tape here, of Emerson versus Burks. Uh, that is going to be a fun matchup to watch. So, That's one you need to like watch them on the backside of the run game. Right. You know, they're two. Just wanna, there's, yeah. the, word, the word finesse doesn't show up on either of their reports. Right. So that's kind of what you're, what you're getting with those two. No doubt. So uh, I mentioned, I alluded to last week, you had that comparison for uh, Martin Emerson. Let's get into our comparison chat here. Using an NFL comp to profile a player that's uh, taking the field this weekend. I will uh, let you go first on this one. So I enjoyed watching some film with you last week. We were both kind of peeping at Jamison Williams from Alabama, and I'm stuck between two style of receivers right now, but I'm okay with writing them both down. Jamison Williams, I think, is an electric route runner, really loose, creative. Reminds me a little bit of a Chad Johnson as a throwback, but really not that different from a Justin Jefferson, I thought, coming at LSU. A little bit, you know, taller and upright of a slot presence at times, really quick in and out of breaks, can sink his hips, can roll out of speed cuts and really do anything you want as far as a route runner. And I think that's what Justin Jefferson did. Now, the big thing is, what is Williams going to time? How is he going to test? 
think me and you were pretty impressed with his movement patterns, his speed, no his ability to get up the top velocity almost instantly. He may be a quick, quick riser right now, which he's kind of cracked a lot of top tens we've seen. He may be cracking top five receiver, top ten receivers, uh, maybe cracking the top five receiver group pretty consistently and consensusly yeah. uh, once we head into the spring. That's the thing. It's like when you watch Williams, he, the, all the tools are there for him to be that kind of player. Uh, and some of the routes, I mean, were just wicked what he was able to do to defenders up the second level. I just want to see like more consistency in that area from him. Uh, I don't think we saw a ball hit the ground watching him. You mentioned, I mean, the size, the ability to get downfield, the movements is really, really impressive for a guy that big. Uh, the consistency as a route runner and with his release package, I do want to see. Uh, but this guy, he was really, really fun to watch. I'm going to go to the other side of the ball for me. I'm going to go to Logan Hall. The, this is a guy that got a little bit of buzz over the offseason uh, coming into the year after his teammate was a, a surprise first-round pick by the New Orleans Saints a year ago. I think when you look at Logan Hall, he's kind of in that DN, D-tackle hybrid, right, that uh, you know a few years ago he would have been viewed uh, as that tweener. Well, I look at it now, and there are, everybody's looking for these kinds of players. And you know he's played both D-tackle and defensive end for Houston over the course of his career. Two guys I wrote down after watching him. Quentin Jefferson, uh, who you and I have studied just recently, obviously playing now for the, the Raiders, and he's just a really disruptive player on the inside. And then Lawrence Guy with the New England Patriots, another guy who can be uh, – he could do a lot of different things for you in terms of being a space eater up front or – making sure that he could be disruptive on the other side of the line of scrimmage. Logan Hall has that combo skill set, and some teams are, are – all teams are going to view him differently. Some might value him more than others, but for the teams that do value you – know, look for that kind of combo skill set, they're going to regard Logan Hall very, very highly. And then the speed and pursuit, the, 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 the pure explosiveness, really, really impressive from this kid. Yeah, kind of a really unique player in that I think his height works a little bit against him. He's 6'6", six, six, every bit of 6'6", six, six, maybe even pushing 6'7". Yeah. Where he has that William, William Golson, really tall, broad frame that just seems like he struggles to get his pads down. Has a nice club arm over move that he seems to go to a lot. Makes guards just fall on their face. I wrote down some throwback names here, too. Okay. I remember Matthias Kiwanuka coming out and with the Giants was able to kind of play inside, outside. Another guy that was taller, really good run pass defender. They had him as um, a Sam linebacker for a large chunk of his career, too. Like He, he was played all over the place, but yep. he was tall, too. He was 6'6", 267 coming out of Boston College. Uh, Logan Hall seems to be in that, that kind of ballpark. He could yep. be a guy that some teams want on the edge full time or maybe a guy that, you know, just creates his home at three tech. So yeah. uh, a versatile player. No doubt. All right, let's uh, let's round this out now with our mock draft roundup. We've looked at a lot of big boards. I think the last three weeks we'll get back into the mock draft game here uh, as we go to Mike Renner from Pro Football Focus, who this week put out a new mock draft. And he's got the Eagles with three first round picks, all of them in the top nine. So I thought, all right, rather than go pick by pick, let's just look at this top 10. And we'll react to the picks as we go. Some of these are chalk. Some of these we've seen, uh, you know, have kind of come universal, but. Let's talk through some of these combinations here. The Detroit Lions at number one, going with Oregon pass rusher Kayvon Thibodeau. Uh, that seems to be a very popular pick at this point. Number two, the Houston Texans taking Michigan pass rusher Aiden Hutchinson. Uh, certainly uh, an, a, an interesting pick there, especially with the season that Hutchinson has put together. Eagles at number three, take LSU corner Derek Stingley. Number four, Jacksonville Jaguars taking Kyle Hamilton from Notre Dame, the star safety. Washington football team at number five, taking Matt Corral, the quarterback from Ole Miss. So Matt Corral, first quarterback off the board there for Mike Renner. At number six, we already talked about Evan Neal, the tackle from Alabama. He goes to the New York Jets. Number seven, here's your center, Ben. You talked last week, I believe, about could Tyler Linderbaum be the highest drafted center 
that we've seen? Well, he goes to the Giants here uh, at seven overall. Then the Eagles get back-to-back picks. George Karlaftis, the stud pass rusher from Purdue at number eight. And then Liberty quarterback Malik Willis at number nine. Uh, so three, two quarterbacks there in the top ten. And then DeMarvin Leal going to the Jets at number ten. So, Ben, Derek Stingley, George Karlaftis, Malik Willis, how excited should Eagles fans be with that kind of trio? I, 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 honestly, if, you, if the Eagles end up with three guys, three picks in the top nine, it's tough to have a bad combination here. I think there's a lot to be right. excited, uh, no matter how you kind of boggle these names together. Yeah, that would be an exciting haul. Um, yeah, <laughs> if you have three in the top ten, yeah, throw three darts, throw three darts at a top twenty board, and I think we're going to hit on one of them and be excited about two of them. Um, but just going through the top 10 really fast for my thoughts, Kevin yeah. Thibodeau joined his old teammate, you know, Penny Sewell out there in Detroit, Aiden Hutchinson, a guy I've kind of cloned to a, maybe a, a poor man's JJ Watt going back out to Houston for their uh, next series of that Derek Stingley. And then to see Kyle Hamilton next at four, I would almost want to flip those. Mm. I think uh, Kyle Hamilton in Philadelphia at that safety spot and can do a lot of different things on the back end, down in the box, running the alley, playmaking ability. If we're still going to be playing a lot of zone coverage out here, do you want this dynamic press man corner and Derek Stingley? Yeah, and we, you and I have been studying the Chargers for the last you know two weeks, and you, you've been studying them a lot this year uh, with CBS. And uh, Kyle Hamilton, it's tough. To, it, it's not an apples to apples comparison, but seeing the impact that uh, that Derwin James has with that Chargers team, uh, having a safety that can cover ground like that and be that kind of force against the run, and still a matchup player uh, in coverage and being being what he is as a top down pass defender, uh, that's a really really intriguing proposition. Yeah, and uh, Washington getting their quarterback of the future, Matt Corral. Happy for him. Hope it works Good fit out. For that scheme. The, the Jets getting Evan Neal. I'm petitioning the league to not allow Evan Neal. Mackay Becton Mackay on Becton. the same offensive line yeah. that should not be allowed. And Vera Tucker. Uh, yep. Linderbaum going to the Giants. Giants fans are going to throw out the uh, the analytics crowd again, taking running backs, interior yeah. linemen, trading up for Daniel Jones. I'd imagine they'll be frustrated with the pick, but I think Linderbaum will be a long-term starter. Player. I mean, yep. Carl Laftis and Malik Willis back-to-back. Pretty exciting. You get a quarterback and a stud pass rushing, you know, run presence as well. And Carl Laptis, who's a great, well-rounded player. And then DeMarvin Leal going to the Jets. The Jets have two top 10 picks too. Yeah. Both going with the on, that, on the trade back. Yeah. Right with, yeah Jamal, the Jamal Adams trade. Yeah. Adding into the trenches on both sides. So uh, I think that's uh, the Joe Douglas style. Do you think Leal, picturing him in that Robert Sala defense, I guess like the, the, um, like an Eric Armstead kind of fit, right? Where maybe he lines up off the edge and then, you know, passing down, you want to try and bump him inside? Yeah, uh, that's what you would think. They, yeah. they need three down players up there yeah. in that New York yeah. front seven. They need guys that are tough run players that can still get after the passer, maybe a little bit of positional versatility. Leal can play up and down the line. Yeah, so there, there are definitely some interesting fits there in the top 10. When we dive outside the top 10, though, was there uh, one player or team fit that you liked most outside of the top 10? Yeah, I really like seeing uh, Traylon Burks to the Packers. Yeah. I think adding that kind of yak presence, thicker receiver, gadget receiver to Matt LaFleur's RPO offense would be a great complementative skill set to uh, Devontae Adams and Aaron Jones, uh, X, Y, and Z. And one other one I'm going to throw in there, Fran, which I don't think this team is getting a lot of credit up front, the Cincinnati Bengals. Jonah Williams is playing great, Quentin Spain at left guard, and they're going to get Kenyon Green into that offensive line, plug him into – maybe even center or right guard for the next, you know, five, six right. years protecting for Joe Burrow. They are nasty up front there. Joe Mixon out there. The Bengals are looking good. Really excited to see Zach Taylor get that leash and kind of 
time to grow and figure things out. It wasn't pretty that first year. He was probably, head coach and they got the number yeah. one pick. Yep. Yeah. Then they got Joe Burrow. He got hurt last year. Well, the Bengals are rolling right now. It's just great to see him kind of emerge on the other side. That's a really fun team. I do like the Traylon Burks fit with the Packers, especially when you talk about that offense. It's almost like, uh, you know, to a, obviously to a lesser extent, but they drafted Amari Rodgers in the third round this past year, and you kind of envision that Debo Samuel kind of role uh, in that offense and, you know, where that comes from. And, and when I think when you look at Traylon Burks, there's a reason why I have Debo as one of those comps for him because he can be used that way. And now we've seen Debo Samuel making plays at all three levels of the field for the 49ers this year, and I think Burks has that kind of potential as well. Um, for me, I really liked Kenny Pickett. Staying in, staying in the Steel City and going to the Steelers, uh, I do kind of like that fit, especially um, you know, the, the way that they're structured right now with Ben Roethlisberger is that, hey, we're gonna, we're, everything's kind of structured through the pocket. And if you want to try and p- continue to play that way, maybe you, you could tr- kind of pluck Kenny Pickett in and you're hopefully going to get a little bit more than what you're getting out of, of Roethlisberger at this point in his career. But you can kind of keep the train moving. It's not, not going to require a drastic uh, overhaul in what you're doing offensively. So I do kind of like uh, that pick and that fit there for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Last question. Biggest steal in round one, uh, which one really kind of caught you up? You're like, oh man, like getting him at this spot. That's a, that's a great value for this team. Well, if a mod Gardner is falling to 24, mm. 23 is going to have teams running to the board to go trade up for this guy, because there's no way he's falling to 24 in my opinion. So if he does fall to 24 to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they should be approaching the podium with a ski mask on because that is highway robbery. And Ahmad Gardner is not being challenged a lot this year out in the secondary. Yeah. So he may be a little quiet because nobody's thrown his way. And he is a through-and-through through island shutdown corner as there is in college football. So Ahmad Gardner, 24, I don't believe it, but that'd be a steal. Absolutely travesty, by the way, that Cincinnati's not in the top four in these initial uh, playoff rankings. Well, you know, that's a conversation <laughs> for another day. Uh, I am going to stay at the cornerback spot as well. Andrew Booth is a guy I'm, I've been a big fan of. And going to Buffalo, uh, I guess, like, look, I, I also love the scheme fit, and that's part of it. Um, but Booth going to a, a team like that, that's, a, that's an outstanding, outstanding get for Buffalo late in the first round. Andrew Booth, uh, the young, kind of still kind of green corner from Clemson, who not only has the ball skills and those traits, but also his uh, ferocity downhill and his competitiveness in the run game. That would make for a perfect fit in that scheme. But this is a guy I think is more top end of round one as opposed to back end of round one. So uh, good stuff there from our buddy Mike Renner, as always, over with Pro Football Focus. Ben, uh, we are going to recap everything that we see this week in college football with with yourself and with Dane Brugler next Monday. Uh, Until then, man, enjoy the weekend, and we will talk to you next week. Now it's time for Pick 6. All right, let's wrap the show up here with my friend Ross Tucker for Pick 6. And, Ross, uh, I picked up one game on you last week. You still have a four-game lead, but just for a quick refresher, I took the under on three-and-a-half touchdowns for your boy Sam Hartman from Wake Forest uh, against Duke. You took the over. It did land at three, so I won that one. Uh, I picked NC State over Louisville. That game got me an extra point. You took uh, Kenneth Walker and his yards per carry against the Michigan margin, and you got a point there. But uh, both of our upset picks fell way short for the first time this year. I don't even want to get into those games because those games uh, got ugly fast. But uh, let's get into this week's games, man. We mentioned Wake Forest. There was a game that you did a couple weeks ago against Army and one of the uh, bigger shootouts of the college football season. We'll talk through them once again here. Wake Forest against the in-state rival, North Carolina. A lot of people think North Carolina's got a shot in this game. Who do you like here in this one, Ross? Well, North Carolina definitely has a shot in this game. They typically recruit better players than Wake Forest. If you look at any of the recruiting rankings, the difference is a lot of North Carolina's best players left last year. I mean, 
several receivers, obviously both running backs, Javante Williams, Michael Carter. They just had a mass exodus. They haven't played as well. And you know who else hasn't played as well? Sam Howell. He hasn't played as well as Sam Hartman. I think Wake Forest has the better Sam H in this game. I'm going to take Wake Forest to get it done. Uh, I'm going to go the opposite. I'm going to try and see if I can uh, make some ground up on you here. I'm going to go North Carolina. I feel like uh, it's kind of setting up where everybody's like, oh, well, how could how could North Carolina be favored here? And it's going and I feel like everything's going to go towards Wake. I'm going to go to North Carolina. Uh, Mac Brown has come up in some big big games for the uh, for the Tar Heels since he's been back in Chapel Hill. I'll go UNC here and go opposite of you, uh, although Wake Forest has been a really great story so far this year. Let's go to the SEC for our next one. Another pick em. Tennessee and Kentucky. Both, both schools have had some big wins. Both have had some tough losses. Who do you like here in this one? Yeah, I'm going to go uh, – I'll go Kentucky. I, I've got some faith in Stoops and company. Will Levis, the quarterback, and with that defense. I don't have a strong feeling on this, but it just feels like, you know, hype will still kind of get in Tennessee going, whereas Kentucky's a little bit further I along. I am actually going to go Kentucky as well. A lot of faith in that offense with Will Levis and Wondell Robinson and Rodriguez and that whole group. So I will go uh, with Kentucky here. You and I on the same side for that one. Let's go to our over-under and the number. This one's going to be a fun one, man. Five and a half is the number, and that is going to be the number of knockdowns from NC State left tackle Ikem Ekwanu against Florida State. And, Ross, I'm sure uh, you've seen some highlights out there of Aquano. If you haven't already done a game uh, of Aquano's film, dude, he is a trained killer at the point of attack in the run game. He loves to get guys on the ground. The way we will judge, we're not going to go off of the school stat or anything like that. I'm just going to – we're going to have our buddy Ben Fennel go through the film on Sunday morning. I'll let – he will be a, a, an honest arbiter here, and he will go through and say, does he have at least five and a half? So are you taking the over? Or you're taking the under five and a half knockdowns for Ekem Aquanu uh, in this game against Florida State. I'm going to go with the over. I love that guy, and I don't want to root for the under for uh, offensive line to <laughs> knock people to the ground. I want to root for the over. So over. <laughs> for that reason, I think I will go the over as well. Uh, the way you put it is perfect. Like I, I'm not rooting for for him to, to get less. So I will go the over here. Uh, that's a that'll be a fun one for Ben to go back uh, and chart for us. Let's go to the next one here. And either or. Who throws, this is a big one, who throws more touchdowns in this game? Malik Willis from Liberty or Matt Corral from Ole Miss? We talked about how uh, earlier in the show this is a big game for Malik Willis, a big moment. Matt Corral uh, a little bit banged up coming into this game, and as we're recording this, still not 100% that he's going to play. I'm going to assume that he will play. Who throws more touchdowns in this game, Willis or Corral? Kind of going back and forth on this one because of Corral's injury status. Um, But I think Ole Miss ultimately wins the game. Sure. Coming off that loss. So I guess I'll go with the guy whose team I think scores more points. Interesting. I will go. I I will go. This was a tough one because you're going to make an argument uh, for both ways. I'm going to go Malik Willis here. Um, Obviously, a huge moment for him. Former SEC recruit down at Auburn. and they're obviously, I, I think that Ole Miss is going to score a bunch of points as well. But I think when you look at Willis, you know, maybe they're playing from behind. They're going to be throwing the ball. They'll be aggressive. I'm going to go Willis here uh, in this pick. I'll go opposite you in this one. Let's go to another big SEC matchup, Texas A&M and Auburn for our high-low. So what is the higher number here in this game, Ross? Isaiah Spiller, the star running back from Texas A&M, potentially the first running back off the board next spring. His yards per carry for Texas A&M or – the margin of victory 
for Texas A&M over Auburn, which one do you like here? What's the higher number? Well, you know me. I, I think this is a toss-up game, so I'm going spiller yards per carry because Auburn right. might win. Yep. I, I'm, I'm just playing the, uh, the old odds, so to speak. Yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense. And Auburn, uh, a surprising victory uh, this past week. Uh, I don't know that a lot of people expected them to get that win over Auburn, Texas A&M. They had a tough loss recently uh, after that win over Alabama. <sighs> I want to make up some ground on you, but I don't. I want to be smart here as well. Um, I'm going to go Spiller because just because I, I, I came in wanting Spiller. Uh, I don't know if I want, want to force the issue and go opposite just to go opposite. Uh, so we're separate on two separate items, five out of two out of five. Uh, we'll see how those fare this weekend. Now let's get to our upset specials, Ross. Uh, a bunch of games, a bunch of options for us here in this one. What's a, an upset that you like here this weekend in college football? Yeah, I mean, there were several that I looked at. Uh, the one I'm going to go with, though, was Northwestern. Um, over the Iowa Hawkeyes. Wow. Western was able to beat Rutgers a couple weeks ago. Iowa's not playing very well right now. Iowa, oh. the wheels have kind of fallen off. They got smashed by Purdue and Wisconsin. Give me Northwestern. I'm going to stay in the Big Ten. I'm going to go Illinois over Minnesota. Minnesota continues to pile up some injuries there. Uh, they're going to be on their, I think, their fourth running back now uh, in the starting lineup. Uh, they've got some injuries on both sides of the ball. Illinois, we know they had that big upset win over Penn State a couple weeks ago. We were a little bit removed from that, so maybe the emotional come down, uh, that's pass. I'm going to go Illinois here over Minnesota. We'll see uh, how that does for me here in the Big Ten. Well, Ross, uh, we'll see if I can catch up some, catch up some ground on you. Again, a four-point lead for you coming into the weekend. We'll see how this goes, my friend. Yeah, I, I love it. I, it's so fun to keep track of these every week, man. Hopefully you can not catch up. Well, great stuff there from Ross Tucker and as well from Ben Fennell, from Eric Galco, and of course from Chrissy Freud. Make sure you tune back in next week right here on the Journey to the Draft podcast. Myself, Ben Fennell, Dane Brugler, we're going to break down everything we see this weekend in college football. We'll have another member of the Eagles personnel department on the show early next week. If you're not subscribed, I don't know what to tell you. If you liked what you heard here today on the podcast, make sure you go and hit that subscribe button over on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. We will see you next week right here on the Journey of the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand.